0: Our text this morning is Hebrews 11, uh, verses 17 through 21, reproduced in your copy of the bulletin, or you can follow along in your copy of the scriptures, Hebrews 11. And it's uh, always good to remember that the voice is the voice of a man, uh, but the words are the words of God, inspired, inerrant, infallible, and our only rule for faith what we are to believe, and life, how we are to live. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him back from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. We've looked at Abraham and Isaac, and so today we will uh, take up the uh, life and life faith lessons of, uh, of Jacob. Uh, how many of you have seen the extended uh, DVD series by R.C. Sproul, Dust to Glory? Uh, this is good. The fewer is better uh, for the moment. Uh, I, I knew that R.C. had done a, a lesson on the life of Jacob, and so I looked at it uh, this, this past week. Uh, And it is spectacular, and and some of R.C.'s message uh, may have rubbed off on me in in the sermon today. And so if you ever have the chance to see that message by R.C., now you'll understand where he got all of his insights and wisdom. (laughs) We're introduced to Jacob in Genesis chapter 25. And then what follows in the remaining chapters of the book of Genesis is the the account of his life and the account of of Jacob's uh, sons right up all the way through Genesis 49. In Genesis 49, we see Jacob uh, at the end of his life uh, and he is gonna pronounce his blessing on his sons. That means that the book of Genesis 50 chapters, fully half of the book of Genesis is taken up with the life of Jacob or his descendants. Or relatives. I mean, just think of that in contrast to Abraham and in stark contrast to Isaac. Uh, We're not going to look at the whole life of Jacob. That would be a great preaching series, to be sure. Uh, But what we want to look at today uh, would be three things we want to look at Jacob's ladder, Jacob's limp, and Jacob's legacy. Jacob's ladder, Jacob's limp, and Jacob's uh, legacy. And these things only make sense. We'll only feel the full impact of Jacob's ladder, limp, and legacy if we have a little bit of background which lead up uh, to those events. And so in Genesis 25, uh, the birth of the twins is, is recorded. In Genesis 25, I'll read from there, verse 25. When her days to give birth were completed... Uh, This would be Rebekah, Isaac and Rebekah. When the days of her birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called him Esau. Hebrew for red. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And uh, Jacob or Yaob, is Hebrew for one who grasps the heel. Now, on first blush, there may not seem to be much significance to that, except for the observation uh, during the birth. But to grab someone's heel is a Hebrew colloquialism. Uh, It's a euphemism, meaning someone who trips you up or someone who tricks you. Uh, A Jacob or a Jacob In Judaism is a deceiver a manipulator a cheater one who supplants others and so the question becomes will Jacob sadly live up to his name or will his life and character be in contrast to that which he was named and then we don't hear anything else about the twin boys until three verses later in Genesis 25. Three verses later, we find this. Once Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, "'Let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted.' Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, "'Sell me your birthright now.' Esau said, "'I am about to die.'" And again, I'm persuaded that this was not just an exaggeration, that somehow or other Esau had worked or hunted himself to near death and really was on the brink of starvation and exhaustion that would result in his death. So he's like, what good is the birthright? I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to His younger brother, Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went away. And thus Esau despised his birthright. He apparently thought more of his physical needs at the moment, living, than inheriting uh, the great blessings, temporal and eternal, that his birthright would have afforded him. These are things, there's a couple of things here that we just don't understand. It's, It's not something that our culture, our life experience is acquainted with. We really have to kind of insert ourselves into that ancient culture uh, to understand the full impact of these things, like the birthright. Ordinarily, in that culture, in that ancient culture, the birthright was passed along from the patriarch, the head of the home, um, in every case, to the firstborn. The firstborn. And these were some of the benefits of receiving or inheriting the birthright. First, the firstborn were peculiarly consecrated to God. Second, they were next in honor to the parents. They knew once the parents left the scene, the firstborn with the birthright would be the head of the family or of the clan. They received a double portion of the father's inheritance and succeeded the father in governing and ruling over the family. And so apparently this birthright, though it was rare, was marketable. The one who owned the birthright did have the option of pawning it off or selling it off. And that's exactly what Esau does. He could have said no, but when Jacob makes the, the offer, sell me your birthright and I'll give you something uh, to eat, then, then Esau uh, succumbs and and gives him his birthright. Now, again, just think about that for a moment. What what's going on here? This is the brother who's on the brink of death. Brother, give me something to eat or I'll die. What would you expect? Of course, here, please lay down, let me get a cold cloth, you know, compassion and and brotherly affection you would think would have called for some kind of a response. (laughs) But what does Jacob do? It's almost as if you can hear the wheels in his mind turning. This is my chance. I mean, what do you think it's like for these two guys growing up? Uh, Esau is clearly superior, I think, in in physical stamina and stature. He said he was a hunter. He was an outdoorsman. Uh, Jacob was an indoor guy. They so hung around mom a lot. You know, how many times do you think mom went out and there's Esau on top of his brother holding him down, making, say uncle and I'll let you up. Say uncle and I'll let you up. You know, get off of your brother Jacob, Esau. This is Jacob's chance. He's like, yeah, now let's see who's on top and who's on bottom. You know, this guy, this is bad. This is This is wrong. And so, you see him in this situation, you know, becoming the master manipulator. You know, the, the, uh, the, you know, and and what a cold heart. Let's not miss that, by the way. You know, this is a cold-hearted, you fill in the blank. (laughs) He's ready to let, you know, what do you think would happen if Esau had said, no, my birthright is precious. It is important. I will not give it up. Okay, dude, it's your funeral and walk away. You know that's what he would have done. He was ready to let him die. But instead, we have this, this exchange. And, and Jacob now inherits um, uh, the birth the birthright. And then nothing else about the boys until Isaac, their father, is about to die. Don't hear anything else about their lives or relationships until we find Isaac. Their, their aged father, uh, literally on his deathbed. And uh, of course, you you know you know the story where the patriarch is about to pass on now the patriarchal blessing to Esau, the firstborn. This is basically the formality of designating the one who will be the new patriarch. It's done by the pronouncing of the patriarchal blessing. So Isaac says to Esau, go out, kill me some of your best stuff that you've been feeding me all my life, and it's really good. You know, come back, we'll eat, and I'll give you the blessing. Great, so I, Esau, he's, he's on it. And, uh, and, and mom, Rebecca, overhears this, and she wants her favorite to receive the blessing. So she says to Jacob, quick, 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 come here. You know, and we're going to... Pr- You know, put on some of your brother's clothes. I'll go make food just like your dad likes it. And uh, Jacob's like, yeah, but, you know, Esau's all hairy. And, you know, my skin is smooth. Mom's like, don't worry about it. I got it. She takes some skins from the animals that have been slaughtered, puts the skins uh, on his arms and also some on the back of his neck. And she says, here, take this in to your father and give him the blessing you know, what a deceiver what a cheat what a trickster you know what a again what what a manipulator to go in there i mean that's all bad and so he goes in and what does isaac say who is it what does he say it's esau what, what a lie! What a bold-faced lie! And Isaac says, well, you know, well, not sure about that. Come a little closer, and he feels them, and he says, yeah, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but, you know, the arms are the arms of Esau. And so they, they eat, and then Jacob says, you know, come here, my son, and pulls him over, puts his hand on the back of his neck. I don't know if Esau was still, Isaac was still trying to check him out or not, but feels the hairy neck, on, and, and smells the clothes. You know, the outdoor guy, not a lot of tide in use at that point. You know, he smells like, uh, like the outdoors, you know? And, and so Jacob says, I mean, I'm mean, sorry, Isaac says, are you really my son Esau? This is your chance to come clean, buddy. And he says, I am. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this guy is as cold as cold-hearted could be. And Isaac gives the... Pa- it's an irrevocable designation of the patriarchal blessing and succession on Jacob, who didn't deserve it, instead of Esau, who was the firstborn. Jacob leaves, Esau comes in, Da-da, Dad, I'm here. Like, who are you? Like, well, I'm Esau. And then Isaac immediately realizes he's been duped by the, uh, the, younger, uh, the younger son. And he, he's devastated, and Esau's devastated, and this all goes down. And it turns out that uh, as Isaac is really on the brink of death, Esau is uh, muttering to himself, okay, we'll let dad pass in peace, we'll have an appropriate time for mourning, and after that, I'm killing my brother. <laughs> he's He's done. I'm going to kill him. Well, once again, mom sort of overhears this and goes to her favorite, Jacob, and says, uh, son, I think God is calling you to go away for a while <laughs> because your brother's going to kill you as soon as the days of mourning are over. You need to go to my brother, Laban, that would be Uncle Laban uh, for, for Jacob, and, and go there, stay a while, let Esau's anger and rage and malintent cool down and then after that happens, you know, then it'll be safe for you to, uh, to come home. And so that seems like a, a good idea. And so, so Jacob's, you know, hightails it out of there, away from the danger of Esau and to the supposed safety of Uncle Laban. And on his journey, we come to our first scripture reading that we had just a few moments ago. Where, where Jacob lays down to, to sleep and, uh, and has this vision, this dream of this ladder with the foot of the ladder on you know, next to him and reaching up into the heavens and the heavens open and the Lord God uh, above and angels ascending and descending. And so he awakes and he realized God is in this place and I didn't know it. Now I would ask what was the significance of all of this for Jacob? I would say the significance of all of this for Jacob is, as this vision is unfolded before him, God speaks to Jacob. And God pronounces on Jacob the covenantal promise. Remember, God originally gave his covenantal promise to Abraham? And then he repeats, almost word for word, the same covenantal promise to Isaac. And then here in Genesis, God pronounces again, word for word, the exact same covenantal promise that he made to Abraham, that he made to Isaac. He pronounces it on Jacob. And so Jacob knows with infallible certainty uh, that he is the one through whom uh, all the world is going to be blessed. He is the one whose descendants uh, are going to be Like the dust of the ground, just uh, more than any man can number, and so that's the significance of all of this uh, for Jacob. God is with him, and God is going to be with him to spare him. Remember, he's still running in fear of his life. This is early on, Uh, but God has promised. You know, you will survive. I will protect you. I will direct you. I will provide for you. And after you've gone away, I will bring you back. This is the land I 've promised to you and your descendants, not over there, over here, where you are. and then later on, what is the significance for us? Okay. Jesus gives us the significance of Jacob 's vision in the scripture reading that we had from John uh, John one fifty one Jesus said, "Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending." on the Son of Man. That is Jesus' self-designation as the Messiah, as the Savior of sinners. Jesus, in so many words, and the disciples who were there would have clearly understood what he was saying, I am Jacob's ladder. There is a great gulf between God and mankind that no one can bridge. You know, there is this great chasm between earth and heaven, and no man and nothing man-made can bridge the chasm, which as we know is a chasm that has been created by us because of our sin and God's holiness. And Jesus says the only way the blessings of God descend from heaven to earth is on me and through me. I am Jacob's ladder." The only way we are able to be reconnected with our creator is by me. I am the ladder. I'll tell you, it made me think of what Jesus says later on, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if we put these scriptures together, we could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the ladder. (laughs) No one comes to the Father except through Through me. And so others have tried, as you know, we see it all the time, uh, to construct a ladder that will reach God and connect with him. Some people build a ladder of their good works. If my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, that'll be enough to bridge the gap. Uh, Some people's sincerity. You know, well, I'm I'm a sincere person, you know, and so my sincerity will get me there. And I've mentioned this before, but I am going to mention it again because it's around a lot. And that is some people think faith. What bridges the gap from earth to heaven is, is faith. You know, aren't we saved by grace alone through faith alone, Pastor Dave? Yes, we are. But that's not the whole of it. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. The value of faith is not the strength of your faith, it's the object of your faith. And the greatest faith in the wrong object will not prevail. And so some people think faith, standalone faith, it doesn't matter what the faith is, that is enough that, that God honors faith, whether it's faith in Buddha, or faith in Muhammad, or, or faith in some philosophy, or faith in not having any faith, or faith in oneself, you know, that God honors that because it's such great faith hogwash. That is absurd. Why would God honor any faith or trust in anything other than himself? No, the ladder is Christ, and it's only faith in Christ that bridges the gap, restores the relationship between us and God. So we have Jacob's ladder, and then there's Jacob's limp, which we, uh, we read the account, the account of that. Uh, again, just sort of hitting the high points. Jacob lands uh, in, uh, in Laban's lap, so to speak. Laban has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And, uh, you know, Leah's the older, Rachel's the younger. And uh, Rachel must be something, because twice the scripture remarks about her physical beauty and attractiveness. I mean, twice the Bible notes that this gal was a knockout. And so, you know, Jacob's, you know, he's ready to have Rachel as his wife, as as anybody would be, goes to Laban, you know, hey, I'd like to have Rachel as my wife. Laban's like, great, I can arrange that, no problem. Uh, You know, well, you know, I don't want to just be a freeloader. And so Laban says, well, here's the deal, I'll give you Rachel as your wife, and you work for me for seven years. And, you know, I think it's one of the most poignant verses in the Bible. I I, I think about it a lot just because it's poignant, that's all. Where it says, Jacob labored for Laban for seven years, and his love for Rachel was so great, it only seemed like a few days. Uh, I mean that is that's great stuff. That is great stuff. So the wedding day comes and there's hoopla and all of this sort of thing, you know, and, and uh, they're ready to consummate their marriage for the evening. And so here comes his bride, undoubtedly veiled, you know, as that culture would demand, and goes in and spends the night. And then the next morning, you know, uh, Jacob wakes up and he rolls over and ho, oh, it's Leah, it's not Rachel. <laughs> And he goes, he's, he's livid, and goes to Laban. And what does he say? You tricked me! You deceived me! And Laban's like, yeah, it doesn't feel so good when you're on the receiving end, does it? <laughs> so he gets a taste of his own medicine, and uh, and Laban says, okay, okay, you can, uh, you can have uh, uh, Rachel as, as well. This is not a sermon on the pros or cons of monogamy or polygamy, and does the Bible teach that? And blah blah. That's not. Stick with the text for now. Uh, and and so he does have Rachel gives birth uh, to children through Rachel, through Leah, through their through their maid servants, uh, and uh, becomes quite wealthy at, at Laban's expense. he Says, Hey, can I have you know just a portion of of uh, your produce and and uh, your profits? And Laban's like, Sure. Well, it becomes very productive and very profitable and Jacob ends up with almost everything and Laban ends up with almost nothing. And so Laban's like, well, dude, you know, I think it's time to go, you. <laughs> and so you need to get out. So uh, uh, Jacob packs up his uh, wives uh, and their servants and the 11 kids. He's, had, he's uh, fathered 11 children uh, by, by this time and starts to make his way back home. And it's been 20 years he, you know, he's like, 20, you know, hopefully my brother has cooled off from his rage and anger after 20 years. So he's on his way back. He gets close. And he's got all this stuff. You know, he's a rich guy. And he, he gets close. He says, go ahead and tell my brother Esau I'm coming home. So the servant goes, tells Esau, your brother Jacob is coming home. And he comes back. He says, well, how was it? Servant says to Jacob, "Well, you know, I gave the message to Esau, and Esau is ready to meet you, and he's got 400 men with him." Uh, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> you know? And so, so Jacob starts sending portions of his family and goods ahead of him. You know, and when when Esau says, you know, well, what's all this? Well, this is Jacob's family, but all this stuff is yours. This is a gift from your brother Jacob. And then another wave comes. Well, this is more of his family, but all of this stuff is yours, Esau. This is a gift from your loving, supportive, gracious, compassionate brother uh, Jacob. And so uh, Jacob sends everybody on, and Jacob is left alone. All by himself now, with his thoughts and dread of what might be about to happen with Esau and his four hundred men, you know and so as he 's going to sleep, he apparently is, is uh, attacked in the night by a man, and they engage in, in this incredible wrestling match. So this wrestling match is going on you know all night. Uh, close to daybreak, uh, the man I think is endeavoring to pull away. It's daybreak. I have to go. You know, it's basically if you don't want me, I'll leave. And now Jacob says, "No, no, no, no. I uh, I will not uh, let you go until you bless me." And here the man says, "What is your name?" And at this point, you have to flash back all the way to 20 years ago when Jacob was asked that same question by his earthly father. What is your name? I am Esau. This is Esau. But now, the one he's wrestling with isn't old and isn't blind. He knows everything and he sees everything and at this point Jacob experiences an awakening and says I am Jacob. It's not just his name. It's a confession. I'm the deceiver. I'm the manipulator. I'm the liar. I don't excuse it, I don't minimize it, I don't rationalize it, I don't defend it. I am Jacob. And so with this, the angel, whom apparently Jacob now ra- recognizes as the angel of the Lord, not just a man, uh, he, he receives the blessing from the angel and he receives a reminder of the mercy of God in not killing him, and of course it's the disjointed hip. And so now, for all the rest of his life, you know, this, this, this is this is Jacob. Every every step, you know, I uh, uh, like probably some of you. I had, I had hip replacement surgery about three years ago, and what caused the need was the cartilage was gone and as doctors put it, you know, it's bone on bone. You know, the hip, bone, and the socket. It really hurt (laughs) to walk and it got to the point where it hurt so bad I was willing to undergo uh, surgery. But there isn't any surgeon that's going to help Jacob. And so from this point on, he is given a moment-by-moment reminder that he has been saved by the grace of God. And, of course, God changes his name. He says, you shall no longer be called Jacob, the deceiver, the liar, the jerk. <laughs> no, your name will be Israel. You, you are one who has striven with God and, and hung in there. And so he's reminded all, every day of his life, with every step, he's reminded of that divine encounter, his coming clean. R.C. Sproul in his message says, this is probably the first time in his life Jacob has told the truth (laughs) when he says, I am Jacob. Jacob's ladder, Jacob's Jacob's limp. Uh, What is Jacob's legacy for us? In the Bible, our God, Is called the God of Abraham 17 times. He's called the God of Isaac 8 times. But did you know that God is called the God of Jacob or the God of Israel 224 times? 224 times! God is denominated as the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob, the God of Jacob. Why? Why the repetition? What's going on here? This is not rhetorical. How many of you have seen the movie Princess Bride? Oh, there are the hands. See, R.C. Sproul, nothing. Princess Bride, we're there. Yeah, uh Okay, that's another sermon. Take notes, Pastor John. Yeah. You know, in... In Princess Bride, at the beginning, you've got the country girl and the farm boy. And the farm boy is something of, of her servant, and, and so she directs him and commands him. And uh, as she does, he always replies to her requests. And you all know the line. As you wish. And then over time, um, she comes to realize that every time he was saying, as you wish. Wish. What he meant was, I love you. We hear God say to us, I am the God of Jacob. What we should be hearing when he says, I'm the God of Jacob, he says, I am the God of all grace. If I can save and be the God of a wretch like Jacob, I can save and be the God of a wretch like you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God of all grace. And we thank you that you have shown mercy to horrible, wretched people that we might have hope in your mercy and forgiveness in the latter, who is Jesus Christ, spanned the chasm we couldn't hope to climb to. And so this day we thank you, O God of Jacob, God of all grace, for the account of your saving mercy toward him and the encouragement to our hearts of your saving mercy toward us,